Amen. Thank you, Miss Leah. And uh, if, if any children that are going to Children's Church, if you haven't come out to there yet for Children's Church, go right ahead. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or one close to you. Matthew chapter 24. And I'll ask that you stand with us again this morning. We want to just remind ourselves of God's Word and His Holy Word and, and stand in honor of it right now. So Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to begin reading at verse 32. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 32. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark... And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But you know this, that if the master of the house had known at what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. He would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together again. Thank you, Lord, that the songs that we've sung this morning were so much a reminder to us of that in Christ Jesus we have all. He is our life. That redeeming blood is our theme, and by grace it will be till we die. And that you, Lord, Even in the valleys, you are faithful and you're working for our good and for your glory. Lord, as we wait for Jesus to come. So, Father, remind us that he's coming. Remind us as we look around that the day is at hand. That our redemption draws nigh, that we're to lift our heads and anticipate His coming. And Father, I ask that you would show us how to live our lives in anticipation of Jesus coming. Please be at work in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Be seated. In preaching from Matthew chapter 24, as the third message I'll preach from it, preaching on the topic of Jesus coming back and the end of the world, judgment in chapter 25, there's a certain weightiness that we should feel, and there's a certain weightiness that I should have as a pastor. And preaching any time, 
Because the last thing I want to do is tell you the wrong thing. Because James chapter 3 tells me and tells us that those who teach the word are going to be held to a stricter judgment. And so, as I've studied this word and studied this passage, I'm going to preach it to you as I feel like it's supposed to be preached. I'm also going to let you know there are other views. There's people that disagree with how I would interpret this passage of Scripture. And when it comes to things about the study of the last days, of the last times, it's called eschatology, we should hold our eschatology humbly, our view humbly, and know that there's some things we're, we're probably wrong about. And this morning I'm going to share with you some things that we should certainly know for certain that Jesus is coming and then know for certainly that we don't know when he's coming and, we, and he's coming unexpectedly. So we can know that he's coming and he could be in our lifetime and we can know that we don't know when he's coming and we can know that he's coming unexpectedly, suddenly, very soon. So I want to take a few moments to kind of reconstruct Matthew chapter 24 in my understanding of it, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has just spoken in verse 3. If you look at your Bible, he says about the temple, about the temple of Jerusalem. Look at your Bible in verse 3. He says, or verse 2. Look at verse 2. But he answered them, you see all these? He's talking about the temple that they've just called attention to. You see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not, not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So the disciples have just said, look at the temple. Jesus, look at the temple, how wonderful it is. And Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. This temple is coming down. And so, the disciples thinking about the temple, this is the place that the people of God, the Jewish people, would go to make sacrifice. And their understanding is that Messiah is coming to bring about his kingdom. But now the disciples are being told that they believe he's the Messiah, but now they're being told the temple is coming down. And for them to say that the temple is going to come down would seem to them like that's the end of the world. For us to show up on a Sunday morning and find that this church building at First Baptist Church had come down, that would be a horrible thing. But we could say to ourselves, that's an awful thing. But it's not the end of the world. Amen? Because we're the church. But for the disciples, when they thought about the prospect of the temple coming down, their thoughts were, this must be the end of the world. And so they asked these questions in verse 4. Look at your Bible. Verse 3. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? And so they have in their minds that the temple coming down, when will these things be? He, he's just talked about the temple. And they say, when will these things be? When will this temple come down in Jerusalem? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? In their mind, that's one question. Temples coming down means it's the end of the world. And Jesus must be getting ready to set up his eternal kingdom. But in fact, as we walk through the passage of Scripture, Jesus answers their questions as two questions. He tells them when the temple is going to come down, but he also speaks about the end of the age, which will be much further down the road than that. There'll be a delay after the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem. So you look in verse 3, and you look in ver through verse 14, and you see many indications and signs of the times of Jesus' day even. In fact, he says in verse 8, if you look at your Bible, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. See that in verse 8? All these things are going to be the indication of birth pains. Then you look at verse 15. And in verse 15, he talks about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoke of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. He's saying when you see these things happen, even in your day, disciples, understand that the temple of Jerusalem is getting ready to be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened in the year AD 70. But then you look in the Bible in verse 21, 
Are you looking at your Bible? Listen carefully. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. He's not describing there in verse 21 the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. When he says destruction not has not been up until this time and never will be, he's talking about further tribulation, increasing tribulation. And so beginning with verse 21, he's talking about the whole church period, the age in which we live, a time of great devastation, a time of great persecution, a time when those signs of the times, those birth pains that they witnessed in their day, that those signs would simply continue to increase after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, I've said that there are some who have other views, and there's many other views. I greatly respect R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, who was a, called a partial preterist, you might say. And when he looks at this passage of Scripture, he says it's talking about the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. And verse 21 is continuing to talk, talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. In fact, when you look at verse 29, look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the sign of the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. R.C. Sproul says that took place in A.D. 70. That those are metaphorical languages to describe the vindication of Jesus' resurrection and exaltation in heaven. I do not agree. I believe it's clearly talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what precedes that is increasing tribulation. John MacArthur, from a dispensational view, believes all of this is describing the great tribulation period. The whole chapter is talking about the great tribulation period. All of it. And when later the Bible says here about somebody will be in the field once taking another left, he says that this is talking about people who will be alive during the great tribulation period who were not raptured before the rapture, before the tribulation took place. And I disagree with that. In fact, I believe the church will be here for the whole time. And he's coming. And we must be ready when he comes. So as you see, there's some different views about this passage of Scripture. But there's certainly some things that we're meant to understand. And I want to share those with you again. Three absolute certainties about the hour when Jesus comes. Again, I believe, therefore, the passage of Scripture is describing what life was like during the time of the disciples up until when the Jerusalem temple was destroyed. Then in verse 21, Jesus is telling us this whole period of time after the destruction of Jerusalem it's going to be a period of time where things are going to get worse, folks, before they get better. And then in verse 29, after that period of time, immediately after those days, he talks about the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. He's coming, and he's going to gather his elect from the four winds of the earth. That's a day for us to look forward to. So let me share with you these three absolute certainties, which may not sound like so much certainties, but absolute certainties about the hour when Jesus comes. Number one, the hour when Jesus comes could be in our lifetime. Amen? The hour when Jesus comes could be in our lifetime. And as I look at the passage of Scripture, we look in verse 32. Look with me in your Bible in verse 32. You see this parable of the fig tree. It says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So just as spring's getting ready to come up and you look out and you see a peach tree starting to bud and you know before long, hey, summer's getting ready to be here. And so Jesus says in verse 33, so also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. So the question is, really in verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So the question becomes, who is that generation that'll see all these things take place and will not pass away until all those things take place? Well, first of all, we need to ask ourselves, what are all these things? Look with me in your Bible at verse 33 again. 
Verse 33 says, So also when you see all these things, when you see all these things, then it says, Then you know that he is near. Not that he's here, but you know that he's near at the very gate, right? I mean, if he's come again, then the fruit tree's not just budding out leaves. You're right smack dab in the middle of summer, right? But when you see all these things and you know he's near, so what are all these things? Well, all these things then is not verse 29 through 31, which talks about the coming of the Son of Man. That's the middle of summer. But all these things are talking about the things that precede that. Verse 5 through verse 14, talking about the beginning of birth pains. And so in those verses, it talks about wars and rumors of wars. Natural disasters. Talks about false prophets and false teachers and great apostasy. It even talks about positively the gospel going out into all the world. So the question again is, when he says in verse 35, excuse me, verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation that sees all these things, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What are all the things taking place? Well, it's not the coming of the Son of Man. It's talking about the things that precede that. And the things that precede that are wars, rumors of wars, false teaching, the abomination, the desolation, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. is included in that as well. So I would say to you that the, when, he, when Jesus says in verse 34, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Jesus is looking at the disciples and he's saying, This generation, you right here, until all these wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and natural disasters and apostasy and false teaching and the gospel going to all the nations... You're not going to pass away. The destruction of Jerusalem, all those things are going to take place in your lifetime, disciples. You say, well, how is that, preacher? How is it? There were famines and earthquakes in Jesus. There was a great earthquake when Jesus was crucified on the cross. There was a famine that Agabus prophesied about. There were wars and rumors of wars. Certainly destruction of Jerusalem talks about that. There was certainly apostasy. We see people falling away all throughout the New Testament and are warned about it. You say, what about the gospel being preached to all nations? That seems hard to grasp that that was actually even fulfilled as God defines it even in that day. Well, Romans, and there's a verse in Colossians too, but Romans chapter 16, verse 26, Paul said this, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Even Paul the Apostle considered that the gospel had been preached to, to the known world at that time. Now, that doesn't mean the Great Commission had been fulfilled. It's not. But it means that the gospel was making the progress that God said it would, and it was happening in their lifetime. Persecution was taking place. They were doing missionary journeys, and they were taking the gospel. And Jesus said, this generation will not pass away. And that generation did not pass away until those things took place. So even the first generation of disciples were able to say, even the first generation of disciples were able to say, Jesus could come back in our lifetime. Even the first generation of disciples could say, we are living in the last days. And every generation since then has been able to say, Jesus could come back right now. Jesus could come back in our lifetime. Acts chapter 2 verse 16 talks on the day of Pentecost Peter stood up to preach and said, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So Joel had said, In the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so on the day of Pentecost, they're speaking in tongues. Peter stands up and preaches and says, What Joel said, that is this. It's happening. Joel said, in the last days this will happen. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, quotes from the prophet of Joel and says, what you're seeing happening here is what Joel prophesied about. It's the last days. We see it in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. 
Jude chapter 1 verse 17 and 18 talking about the false teaching and false prophets that had crept in within the church. Jude looked at that, heard about it, observed it, wrote about it, and then he said this, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, they said to you about what you see happening with false teachers and apostasy. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So Jude said, in the last time this would happen. And it's happening. And that was almost 2,000 years ago. Every generation since then has been in the last days. We see this expectancy of the imminence of Jesus' return throughout the New Testament and Revelation. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Behold, he says, I'm coming soon. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, he says, the end of all things is near. So there's expectancy even since the early church that he's coming and he's coming soon and he's coming quickly. And so how much more can we say with confidence the hour when Jesus comes could be in our lifetime. I mentioned last week one of my children have been very fascinated in talking about this particular subject at the end of the world and so forth. And We were out somewhere the other day going down the road in a car and, uh, and they said, did you hear a trumpet? <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't hear a trumpet, but I'm not. That would be a wonderful thing if we did. When the trumpet sounds, the Lord Jesus is coming. But the question comes here. I've worded this statement in such a way. The hour when Jesus comes could be in our lifetime. The question could be, could he come today? Could he come in this next second? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, which I plan to preach about tonight, talks about the coming Antichrist. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now those who believe that the church will be, that Jesus is coming twice rather than once, that Jesus is going to rapture the church and take it out of the world before then, and that conveniently takes care of this dilemma. I don't see that he's coming twice. I see that he's coming once. So when we look at this verse of scripture, it would almost seem as if something has to happen before he comes again, that the man of lawlessness, that this antichrist figure has to be revealed. Therefore, he couldn't come at any second, if that's the case. And so I see a, a tension here in scripture. And I see that when I read the New Testament, all my life I've always said, Jesus to come back in any moment. In fact, I've stood here in this pulpit and said, before I get done preaching, I'm going to say it right now, Jesus could come back. And when he comes, I don't believe he's coming to rapture the church and then seven years of tribulation, I believe he's coming. And you better be ready because there ain't no more opportunities after that. So I still hold to that. Why is that? Well, it seems to me that look at 2 Thessalonians 2 about this coming Antichrist figure Wow. You mean that person's in the world now and Jesus could come? Well, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like that's yet to happen. But at the same time, to humbly approach prophecy, let's remember how the scribes, the Pharisees, the Jewish people missed the first coming of Jesus and had their Bibles and misunderstood what they thought the first coming of the Messiah would be like. And so, it is possible that 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 has been fulfilled in such a way that makes his imminent return as of in the very next second possible. So I say, as like with the rest of the New Testament's bent, be ready. Be ready any moment for the Lord Jesus what we do know is that he's coming, and he's coming soon. And it could be in our lifetime, yes. I'll address that more in a few moments. Because I think some of you have the question in your mind, but pastor, okay, we know you don't know the day, pastor, but pastor, 
And we know that you're saying, according to Scripture, he could come in our lifetime. But pastor, do you think it's really, 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 really more likely that he's going to come in our lifetime than in any other generation? I think that's the question some of us have. So hold your taters. In the midst of all of this, again, hold to a humble yet confident eschatology, understanding of Jesus coming confident, humble, but confident. He's coming, and he's coming soon. And look at verse 35. When we say confident, look at verse 35 in your Bible. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. How come we can be confident? Because Jesus says my words will not pass away. There's a reminder here, knowing that Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. And you may scoff at this. You may not be a believer. You may have heard this. and We see that read from the text that Nick read from this morning. People scoff and mock and say people have been saying for centuries that he's coming, and he's not come yet. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Just let me remind you of this. could be in our lifetime. Heaven and earth will pass away. Don't know when, but it will. Everything in your life is going to pass away except your soul. And this is simply a reminder to us as we await the coming of the Lord Jesus, beware of investing in a world that's passing away. It's going to pass away. Even if you don't pass away before the Lord Jesus comes, this world is going to pass away. So it's a simple reminder. Lay up treasures in heaven. Don't waste your life on the futile pursuits of this world. He's coming. And the only thing that's going to last are the promises of God. So build your life on what's eternal. Build your life on what God has promised. Invest in his word, not in the world. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So find out what this book says about your life and how to live it. And do it. The hour is coming when Jesus will come, and it could be in our lifetime. Secondly, the hour... When Jesus comes is unpredictable. <laughs> it's unpredictable. Some of you may remember Harold Camping. He's one example. In May 21st, 2011, he said that Jesus was coming. And you know, I remember that a few years ago and his predictions, and there were some billboards up from his radio program he had, and he's since passed away, and so has May 11th, 2011, and Jesus has not come back. That was his, I guess, at least third attempt at making a prediction about the return of Jesus. But I want you to look in your Bible in verse 36 and we can know that the hour when Jesus comes is simply unpredictable. Verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Well, that's pretty plain. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So we can know that he may come in our lifetime, but we can't know the day or hour. We can't know for certain the day that he's coming. The Bible says no one knows. Verse 39, it's going to, they were unaware when he came during the flood. And that's the way it's going to be when he comes again. Verse 42 says, therefore stay awake for you don't know on what day or hour our Lord is coming. Verse 43 says, but, if, but know this, that the master of the, hour, the, house, the master of the house had known in what part of the night of the thief was coming, he, he would have stayed awake. We don't know. The day when he's coming. What, what God wants us to simply do is simply be about his work and be ready for when he comes. The hour when Jesus comes is unpredictable. And in fact, neither the Son knows. Now this presents, you see that in your Bible in verse 36? Nor the Son, but the Father only. Doesn't this present a dilemma? Apparent anyway? That the son doesn't know something that the father knows and yet Jesus is fully God. He's not ceased to be God while he lives here on earth. So how can he not know the day if he is God? I mean, after all, he knows the future. He knows the AD 70 is coming, Jerusalem's coming down, and it did. 
And he's telling us all about these other things, but this, he doesn't know. And simply the, the simplest way is simply to remind ourselves of the verse, one of the verses that Tim read this morning. This reminds us of how Jesus took on flesh and his humanity. There were things about his attributes that he didn't cease to be God in any way at all. But he voluntarily restricted the use of his attributes and only did what he said. I'm only going to say what the Father says. I'm only going to do what the Father says. He's only going to know what the Father wants him to know in his humanity. Yet he is God. And this is a great mystery for us. But I think we need to call attention to that because this is something when you witness to unbelievers at times, especially to Muslims and others and people in cults like Jehovah's Witnesses and others who deny the deity of Christ, they'll bring up verses like this and I want to remind you, you need to know your soteriology better than you do your eschatology. You need to know your Christology better than your eschatology. In other words, you need to know who Christ is and what he's done and you need to know how he has saved you and what the gospel is and not get wrapped up in sensationalism about the end times. We're blessed, the Bible says, if we study these things. Praise God for the book of Revelation. Praise God for the Olivet Discourse. Praise God that he's revealed what he has to us about these times. But may it not be true of us that you're more fascinated or infatuated with trying to figure out what we cannot possibly know in its fullness and yet not be able to explain the gospel or to talk to someone about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why I'm so thankful that we have parents in our church and teachers in our church who take seriously teaching the Word of God in our classes and our small groups and to your children at home, discipling them. Because there's going to be herald campings and other people come along. They're going to teach such things and things that are far worse than simply make, making a day about a guest. There's false teachers that are coming to teach things other than the gospel and other through Christ is. And it'll lead you away. So the hour when Jesus comes is unpredictable. So beware of sensationalism. Books and YouTube and internet, there's all kinds of things about the end times out there. Tons. You type in Antichrist or make a Google search or, or YouTube video search or rapture or end times. You're going to see all kinds of stuff. And folks, I'm telling you, a lot of it is not going to be healthy for your soul. And it could lead you into things, not only about things that are not true about those things, but things about the gospel that are not correct, which is an even weightier, much weightier problem for your soul. Don't expose yourself to those things. Be very careful. It's my pastoral responsibility to remind you of that this morning. There's a lot of things on those bookshelves about the end times that are simply going to lead you astray and distract you. There's some good stuff out there. So ask your pastor. Ask them. I don't know everything. I have to go out and read book reviews from solid people sometimes. But research these things before you swallow it whole and poison yourself and those you love. The hour when Jesus comes could be in our lifetime. The hour when Jesus comes is unpredictable. And thirdly, the hour when Jesus comes will be unexpected. It'll be unexpected. And certainly we see that in verse 37 and following. It's going to be unexpected. It's sort of like your parents showing up and told you to clean your room. And Man, I didn't think you were coming back this early. That has nothing to do with it. I told you to clean your room. Or your wife's gone away for the weekend and Husbands know that they got to get that kitchen cleaned up because they didn't wash the dishes for a couple days, but you're planning to get it right before she walked in the door. But lo and behold, the conference is over and she's home. Surprise! Unexpected. And so much more, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to come when life is going on like normal. Jesus is going to come when life is going on like normal. Yes, things are going to get worse before they get better. But people, but notice what it says in the Bible here. In verse 37, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. We know about the wickedness of Noah's day, but look what's emphasized in verse 38. Not the wickedness of Noah's day, but the normalcy of Noah's day. 
Verse 38, look at your Bible. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. They were going about life as normal. And the flood came, whom Noah had preached about and been building that ark for a long time. And the flood came and wiped them out. And so it will be. Verse 39, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So will it be. Jesus says it will be that way. His coming will not be in such a time that everybody's going to be sitting around thinking, man, Jesus is coming back. It might be next five minutes. No, people are getting married. People are doing the things you're going to be doing this afternoon or next week or that you're planning for this summer. And he's coming in a day like that, unexpected. Jesus will come like a thief breaking in your house, verse 43. But know this, that the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Well, I, I know this guy's going to break in my house tonight, but I think I'll go up there and lay in bed and go to sleep. That'll make a bit of sense. Now I'm going to call the police. I'm going to get out my double-barreled 10-gauge shotgun. Whatever it is, I'm going to be prepared for that. The master of the house had known he would have been ready. He would have been prepared. Jesus is coming like that. He's not, the thief doesn't say, hey, hey, my name is Mr. Thief and I'm going to break in your house tonight and I just wanted you to know that ahead of time. That don't happen, does it? And Jesus is not going to come in such a way with an advanced warning. There are signs of the times we can look around and see the fig leaves are still on the trees like they were in the day of the disciples. What more signs do you need? But there's no advanced warning. There'll be a trumpet, but they won't be a delay after that trumpet. It'll be far too late to get ready. Get ready now. Behold, today is the day of salvation. That's the point of application we come to here at the end. Be ready for the hour of His coming. Be ready for the hour of His coming. When the dogwoods start blooming in East Tennessee where I grew up, we know that summer is coming. But sometimes we have what's called a blackberry winter or a dogwood winter. Maybe y'all use that same phraseology around here in southern Illinois. And when that dogwood winter comes, we say, well, the dogwood's blooming, summer's coming in. But there's going to be a delay. There's going to be a cold snap And so it is in relation to how Jesus talks about his coming. I want you to look in your Bible in verse 48. And notice in verse 48 the Bible says, But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed. You see that word delayed? I want you to notice it again in chapter 25. Look at your Bible in verse 25, verse 4, or verse 5. Chapter 25, verse 5. As the bridegroom was talking about Jesus as the bridegroom was delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. Then look in your Bible in chapter 25, verse 19, another parable Jesus tells. Verse 19 of chapter 25. Now after a long time, the master of the house came. Do you see an emphasis here? Do you see that Jesus is showing them something? Disciples, Matthew's audience that reads this later on, us today, I'm telling you that the time is near, the time is at hand, even at the gates. But when you, when you find out there's a blackberry winter going on, there's a delay, and you look and you say, he's not come yet. Don't do what these people did in these parables that he tells. 2 Peter chapter 3 is what Nick read this morning said there, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Where, where's he at? Things are going on like they always have been, people are saying, scoffing. 
So let me share two things with you in closing. The delay should not become a reason for you to be misled. The delay in Jesus coming, the fact that it's been a long time since he spoke these words should not be a reason for you to be misled. Verse 33, back in verse 33, Jesus said to that generation, and therefore to us, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He said in verse 33, excuse me, that was verse 34, so also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. And so let me ask you a question. As John Bloom writes, I agree. Have you noticed the proliferation of influential false prophets in our day? It was going on in Jesus' day. Have you noticed it in our day? Do you turn on the television and see people doing signs and wonders? And No, I'm not going to say who I think is a false prophet and who I'm not unless I talk to you individually and find out you're following one of those ridiculous people that are dangerous for your soul. But they're out there claiming to represent God. Often in the form of prosperity gospel. Often in the form of cults knocking on your door waiting for a Southern Baptist that knows what they believe but not why they believe it. Knowing what you believe because grandma told you, told you what to believe but you don't know from the Bible why you believe it. Have you noticed the scale of natural and national calamities in our day? Well, of course. Coronavirus. Have you noticed the increase of global hostility towards Christians in our day? And how often the, the fact is cited that more Christians have been killed in the past hundred years than all the other centuries combined? It's hard for us to imagine here in the United States where our level of persecution is much less compared to many parts of the world. But again, as I've said many times before, what's going on right here is not normal Christianity. Get ready. Things will get worse before they get better here. Have we not noticed the fresh reminders of the existence of current powers in the world that can completely eradicate humanity from the globe through chemical weapons or nuclear weapons? Certainly the leaves are on the trees today. Certainly we shouldn't be misled into thinking he's not coming or his delays because it's going to keep going and going and going and not in our lifetime. So some would ask, Pastor, here's my question. Are we able to say it more than any other generation that he's coming in our lifetime? That's the question I think many want to be asked that I mentioned earlier. Or, Pastor, not could it happen, but will it happen in our lifetime? Well, I can't say will it happen. Could it be, is it more, is it really more possible that he could come in our lifetime than any other time? I can't say that either, sorry. If that's what you wanted me to, me to say, I'm not going to, but I will make some few observations along with you. When I think about the state of culture, the state of our culture, the approval of depravity on an unprecedented scale and on or at an unimaginable pace. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Listen to what this word says about the last days. But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Do you think that describes our culture increasingly? Through the approval of depravity? Perhaps in an unprecedented way, at an unimaginable pace. I often hear Dr. Albert Moeller talking about the moral revolution. The moral revolution in relation to sexuality, homosexuality, transgenderism, all these sort of things. Unimaginable things. And some of us are my age and older, we would say, well, I can't imagine that happening in my day, but see, there's teenagers here this morning. There's teenagers sitting here this morning and say, who would say, you're saying you can't imagine things changing since your day like that. Preacher, the teenager's saying, things are changing and I'm still a kid. Things are changing at an unimaginable pace right now 
in just the last 15 years in relation to sexual depravity. And not only that, but the losing of the gospel. What I mean that is churches, churches like ours profess to be evangelical churches. And I hope ours don't ever become like this. But are not preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But have become places of entertainment. Where universalism is creeping in. There's more than one way to heaven other than through Jesus. So I think not just about the state of the culture in relation to the being the signs of the times of the Lord Jesus coming, but I think of the state of the church concerns me even more than the state of the culture. Because when I look at the culture and its unprecedented pace, engaging in unimaginable things in relation to homosexuality and same-sex marriage and even polyamory, if you know what that is, or giving children drugs so they can begin to change their, you know, hold off on their bodies being changed so they can make that sex change later on. And I'm looking at the church and I'm hearing more and more supposed evangelical churches and Christians and mainline denominations that are willing to ordain homosexuals into the ministry or to do same-sex marriages just one by one. The church embracing it hearing about apostasy among people that said they're Christians say I'm not going to be a Christian anymore much of it's because of they feel like the church's stance on what the Bible does say about sexuality so as they see the church embracing what God says is an abomination I'm seeing the church lose the gospel certainly it heightens my expectation that the Lord Jesus will come soon but I don't know if he's coming today and I don't know if he's coming in my lifetime but I know I need to be ready and secondly I said in closing I didn't mean it was going to be a short closing <laughs> secondly the delay should not become a reason for you to become pessimistic or complacent and I think that's an important word the delay in Jesus coming should not be a reason for you to become complacent or pessimistic. Look at your Bible quickly at verse 45. When Jesus tells this parable about this faithful and wise servant, who'll be the faithful and wise servant? Who'll keep serving and be faithful rather than saying, the master is delayed, so I'll just act wickedly toward my servants because he's not coming yet and I don't think he's going to come in my lifetime. I'll just do what I want to do. That's what the parable is basically. Jesus says in verse 45, look at your Bible. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Jesus is saying, now listen, I'm coming soon at the very gates. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? So what Jesus is saying then, I'm coming soon, but you still need to be faithful and wise. You still need to keep serving me. It's not the time to lift up your hands, throw in the towel, sit back, stare out the window looking for me to come. Get wrapped up in so much in your eschatology that you're no earthly good for the cause of the kingdom of God anymore. The lay should not become a reason for becoming pessimistic or complacent. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? He says that because he expects us to continue to be faithful servants doing the Lord's work. Our work is not meaningless. Even though we see things getting worse before they get better does not mean that when you taught your Sunday school class this morning or you did devotions with your kids this week or you're going you're to go to the voting booth in a couple of weeks or, or you're going to engage the culture or you're going to do things that God has placed upon your heart to do, you're going to keep praying for revival because we don't know when he's coming. He's got work for us to do. Birth pains come and go as described about the end times. There are periods of relief. So World War I comes and people think, oh, it's the end of the world. Great Depression, World War II. Adolf Hitler must be the Antichrist. But the end doesn't come. Then the golden age of the 1950s. Haven't we seen this kind of back and forth throughout history? 
things getting worse and then periods of relief. So should we not say yes? He could come when we look at our culture, when we look at the state of the church. Yes, he could come at this time and it's so awful and it's so wicked. But could there not also be revival in our day? Even as we know ultimately things will get worse before they get better, we don't know when he's coming. Should we not pray for a great move of God, a great awakening even in our day? Should we not work so that more souls are brought into the kingdom and continue to faithfully disciple one another? So the delay means we still have great commission work to do. Iranians, I was reading from the Voice of the Martyrs this week, evangelists in Iran say that right now, based on their estimates, that for every 10 people they speak to about Christ, six or seven are ready to respond. At no point before has Iran been so eager and ready to hear the message of the gospel. God is at work. And listen to what Second Peter says. Those scoffers that say, oh, he's not come yet. Look at what Second Peter says. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the explanation for why he has not come yet and why the delay is taking place and why the Lord is being patient is because he intends to bring more souls to repentance. Jesus is going to bring more sheep into the fold. He is going to save more people. He, if he doesn't come today, he didn't come yesterday, that means today, March 1st, 2020, he intends to save. If he doesn't come today, he doesn't come tomorrow, that means there's great commission work. That there's people he could be, he's going to save. More Iranians, more Bosnians. More people at Mount Carmel, maybe some of the people on the list, on your everyone here's list that you're praying for. Maybe that neighbor that you've been praying for, he's not come yet, that means he intends to save somebody. Maybe it's going to be that granddaughter that you've been praying for, that your heart's broken for. Maybe it's going to be that grandson. Maybe it's going to be your, your, your neighbor, your friend, your, 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 your loved one, right? Should there not be anticipation, glad anticipation about what God might do? And an involvement in that work. Oh, I know you think I'm crazy for getting excited about it. I saw some teenagers grinning just now. Old Pastor Steve gets wound up. But brother, I'm going to tell you something. If you can't get wound up about that, then your winder's broken. <laughs> Amen? I mean, all, all it comes down to is this, folks. God is sovereign. Don't be taken by surprise about a thing going on in this world. He's in control. And Jesus is coming, and until he comes, he's still at work, saving souls, doing things in the world. Things may be looking like they're getting worse before they get better, and they are ultimately, but, but we don't know when he's coming. And man, we just need to be about his work. And the last thing I'll say to you is this. The delay means there's still time to repent for you. It tells us in verse 51 about this person that said, Oh, he ain't coming. I don't believe that. I don't believe his stuff. He's not coming. And it says in verse 51, he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I just want to remind you, there literally is a literal place called hell. There's not a much worse word that Jesus would describe of humanity than hypocrites. And it says that if you're an unbeliever, you'll be in that place with the hypocrites and you're not going to be annihilated and just burn up. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The people that are under the judgment of God in the lake of fire and hell suffer forever. My brothers... I don't say that to unbelievers that are here to scare them into making a profession. But wake them up to the reality of the fact that they've sinned. And if you're here and you're an unbeliever, you've sinned against him. Do you believe these things? You can't make yourself right with God. Please, I'm telling you, you may think the preacher up here is Whatever you think he is, 
these things are true. And one of these days he's coming. Or you're going to be dying. And after that comes judgment. There's no purgatory. There's nothing after that to give you another chance. It's judgment. Repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. My confidence to be ready on that day has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the fact that by God's grace, when I placed my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, He imputed me, imputed to me, placed within me the righteousness of God. That's what the Bible says. So that when He looks at Steve Frills, because of His grace by faith in Jesus, even though He knows I still sin, He chooses to see me as if I'm as righteous as Jesus is. And if that's true, and it is, how can I not be confident for that day? For that day of judgment and me standing before him, right before him, does not depend upon me. Jesus took care of that on the cross. And that's my only hope in what Jesus has done. Are you trusting only in the Lord Jesus Christ? Only in Him. Let's bow our heads and pray together this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Father, we ask that You would be so much at work in our hearts that these things would not fall to the ground, that Your Word would not fall to the ground, Lord, that they would be, there would be much affection in our hearts because of Your truth. So much affection, so much joy, so much overflow that when we leave this place that we will be ready to tell others about it. And Father, I pray for a deep sense of conviction of sin and repentance, God, that you would grant for your glory. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing this closing hymn. And uh, as we sing, if you'd like to come and pray about anything or if I can talk with you about anything even now. You know, if you're not a believer and you're not sure if you died, when you die you'll go to heaven, let's talk now. Why wait? Uh, what's keeping you right now, right where you're standing from repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus? Why would you not do that right now? Let's sing together.